We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated on Fan Nation. We got a preview pod for you guys today. Ducks gearing up to hit the road to Salt Lake City to take on the Utah Utes. Man, this is a huge matchup. I mean, it feels like we're saying that every week with you know how the season's gone, but happy to bring on for my guest today, Salt Lake Tribune uh, writer Josh Newman covering the Utah Utes. Josh, how we doing, man? Thanks for being here. Doing well, Max. I, I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for this game. You know, I think even though the Ducks had all the preseason hype, I think people saw that this game was in Salt Lake, um, especially with it being a game in the South. You know, teams kind of alternating when they get to do those cross-division games. And um, there were eyes on this one even in the preseason. So to kind of just start things off, Josh, I think what I wanted to ask you with – I want to talk about Josh uh, – sorry, Kyle Whittingham, the Utes <laughs> head coach, the the man in charge of the program – just kind of tell me what you think he's like as a, as a coach, what it's like being around him, because I feel like he's really underrated nationally, and and he always has the Utes playing some really good football down the stretch, no matter what kind of hand he's dealt. Yeah, no, that's well said. I mean, look, he's sort of the, I guess you might call him the dean of Pac-12 coaches now. He's in his, uh, his 17th season. Uh, he's been their only head coach since they entered the Pac-12 in 2011, and, you know, this is their, again, 11th season in the Pac-12, but I think for the last probably six seasons, every year they're contending for the Pac-12 South. And if they're not contending, the perception is that they should be contending. That's kind of where this program has been. Um, you know, they've won three Pac-12 South titles since 2015. They're in line for a fourth if they can either win this game against Oregon or, or beat Colorado next week or get some help from Arizona State. Um but that's what it is. I mean, he's really put together a program that has been, you know, consistent and contending. And you're right. They don't get a lot of love nationally. Um, I think part of that is they're in the Pac-12, which doesn't get a lot of love nationally as a whole, as a football conference. Um, mm. I think the fact that Utah is in the mountain time zone and is not in a is not in a huge media market. I think that has something to do with it. Uh, the fact that they've never been to a Rose Bowl. So there's a lot of things that I think have contributed to the fact that the fact that Utah has, you know, not gotten the love nationally. Um, I think personally, I mean, I, I think Kyle Whittingham is is criminally underrated in terms of where his program has been 
um, and where it is now, and even still where it's going, because this team now, despite contending, is still very, very young. We're gonna have to <clears throat> we're gonna have to see what what uh you know what the Utes look like when when they come out to face the Ducks on Saturday. You know, obviously there's a, a lot of eyes on this game, uh, given what's happened this season with um, you know Utah's Pac-12 aspirations. Oregon obviously has those Pac-12 aspirations and are, is looking even further ahead now uh, yep. into the playoffs even. But I say all that to say that Oregon really isn't looking ahead because every time we talk any kind of playoffs with Mario or any of the players, it's always one to no process. We're focused on the task at hand. Yep. But I think a cool cool place to kind of start this um, little preview, Josh, the last time these two teams met, for those that don't know, you know, Pac-12 championship in 2019, Ducks just really took it to the Utes in that game when, um, you know, their their playoff hopes had already been dashed, right, by, by Arizona State prior to meeting the, yep. up with the Utes. But the Utes still had a chance to, you know, in a weird year, I guess, just what we're not used to, Utah was the Pac-12's, you know, prime team to, to go to the playoffs. So I just think so much has happened since these two teams have – have last met and I guess I just wanted to ask you you know what's the what's the mood like right now kind of within the Utah fan base within the Utah program heading into this game you know it's been a very interesting week in terms of those two things I think the fan base is you know the fan base is kind of pre-programmed to be disappointed you know you bring up the 2019 Pac-12 title game when Utah was on the doorstep of the college football playoff you know they come out and they're down 20 to nothing at halftime. Uh, you know, and Oregon curb stomped Utah in that Pac-12 title game. That was never a game. Um, you know, and other big games in the past under Kyle Whittingham, they've, there's, there's certainly this history of losing big, high-profile, important games. So the fan base is, is definitely on edge. But it's interesting. I mean, they're, you know, they're on edge. You know, it's a big game, primetime, ABC, Oregon, the whole thing. But then there is this other kind of separate thought process where you know, no matter what happens Saturday, you have to go to the Pac-12 title game and win if you want to go to the Rose Bowl. So there is some sense that I don't want to say that this game Saturday doesn't matter. It just matters more for Oregon because, like you said, Oregon is still playing for the college football playoff. If Oregon wants to go to the college football playoff, they have to win out and finish 12 and one. And that's before anything else happens. So, you know, the fan base is kind of, you know, between two or three different thought processes. Um, the team, you know, Kyle Whittingham will tell you, or he did tell us on Monday that this is just another game. As Mario says, right. We're trying to go one and oh, it's about the process. Let's just get through this week. You know, then we'll worry about next week. But you talk to some of the players, like we talked to Britton Covey on uh, Monday night, and, you know, Covey's career dates back to 2015, right? He's been here forever. And he's played in a lot of big games. And he rattled off, you know, five or six of the big regular season games that he's played in. And credit to Covey, he was willing to admit that, you know, look, we'll prepare for Oregon just like we prepare for any other team. But this is not just a regular game. You know, this is, you know, we're trying to win the Pac-12 South. We are in contention for a Rose Bowl. It's prime time. It's a night game. It's on, you know, big ABC broadcast TV. So, you know, I think the players, or at least some of the players, recognize that this is not just a regular week. And and I agree with them. You know, this is not a regular opponent. This is not a regular week. This is high stakes. There is a lot on the line. 
for both these teams. And again, maybe there's more on the line for Oregon, but there's a lot on the line for Utah. If you beat Oregon, you win the Pac-12 South, you're in for the Pac-12 title game. I'm of the belief that, you know, you don't want to have to, you know, hope for the back door. You don't want to have to hope that Oregon State beats Arizona State and you win the South that way. No, you want to take care of your own business and you want to beat Oregon. So it's uh, it's been a pretty in- interesting week from, you know, Kyle's perspective, players' perspective, the fans' perspective. I, I do think the fans are on edge. Um, so it's going to be interesting how this whole thing plays out and however it plays out, it's going to be interesting what the reaction is uh, from the fan base. You, you talk about the the fans being on edge just to kind of give the the Oregon perspective of this. I feel like the 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 mood from them is is kind of a, a mixed bag from from confidence with you know you I feel like they really turned a corner after that Stanford loss. Right. Um, you talk about getting that big win in UCLA that they could have put away and then they let them back in, but then they made some really big plays down the stretch that were you know positives to draw and they took care of Colorado handedly at home. Um, and then getting that Washington state win, I think was huge just yeah. with, with how them they're being with them being as hot of a team in the pac 12. But like I'm talking about the Oregon fans, they know that, that Utah is dangerous and that they're, you know, they've just been on a tear this year. Um, but I don't know if there was something you wanted to say that before I got to my next point. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's just, and I've been, I've been thinking about this all week. I mean, it's just pretty fascinating the road that Utah took to get to this point. Like, look, back in August, when I filled out my, you know, my preseason Pac-12 poll, I had Utah winning the South just because I thought that Utah was the best team. I thought they were better than, you know, than USC. Uh, I know that a team um, uh, like UCLA had some preseason hype. I thought Utah was better than all those teams. Um, Charlie Brewer starts the season, uh, gets benched for Cam Rising. Brewer quits. Um, You had Aaron Lowe's death. Um, and everything that has gone along with that. And through it all, Utah's here. They are, you know, in line to win the Pac-12 South. So just fascinating. Like, yeah, I thought that Utah would win the Pac-12 South, but nobody could have predicted the road that, you know, that this Utah team would have taken just to get here. Yeah, I want to stay there for a second. I think, you know, the Charlie Brewer storyline is is something super relevant to talk about just when you're looking at how great of a, a season Cam Rising has had since since taking over the reins of, of, of the offense. Can you kind of just take us in there for a second, Josh? Just uh, any insight you can kind of share with, with regard to kind of Charlie Brewer's departure and then the transition here over to Rising? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so for the people that are unfamiliar, um, you know, Rising won the job last year in the middle of COVID. Um, he lasted 14 offensive snaps before he blew out his – his, uh, his right shoulder, his throwing shoulder. So he was done for the year and they knew that he was going to be out for spring. And the hope was that he would be ready for, uh, for August camp. And in the middle of that, you go to the transfer portal, you bring in Charlie Brewer as a graduate transfer from Baylor, uh, you know, 44 career games threw for 9,700 yards, you know, played in a big 12 championship game, played in a, um, in a sugar bowl. Um, and Brewer had a really good spring, productive spring. And Kyle Whittingham was very, uh, effusive in his praise for Brewer. So I think a lot of us thought, and I'm guilty of this too, that yes, it's going to be a quarterback competition, but how is Brewer, like how is rising going to compete? He's coming off major shoulder surgery. Brewer did what he did in spring. He has the resume. Like how is rising supposed to, supposed to win the job? Um, You know, we get to August camp and rising is healthy and rising is performing at a high level. 
And Kyle Whittingham throughout camp was telling us, you know, this is legitimately really close. This is probably closer than we thought it was going to be. Um, went through all, you know, all of camp like that. It was close. And the deciding factor, which in hindsight, I completely was on board with this when Kyle said it was the deciding factor was the experience rising through six passes. And again, 14 offensive snaps. Brewer has 10,000 yards and he's done all these things. So you go with the experience. Um, you know, you get into the season, the offensive line was banged up. Brewer's struggling in the system. Um, you know, we get to game three. I think it was, I want to say late third quarter or early fourth quarter. You know, Kyle had had enough. Benches Brewer brings in rising. You know, they almost steal this wild triple overtime game at San Diego State. And since that, I mean, rising has just, you know, he had a string of probably a month where he looked better and better and comfortable and more comfortable. And he was in full firm command of the offense and that's where they are I mean you you don't generally see a Utah offense putting up 35 points 38 points they put 52 on Stanford you just don't see a Utah offense doing that and you don't usually have a Utah quarterback and they've had some good ones you don't usually get a quarterback in Utah that has a cannon and can go downfield like rising so um you know, rising didn't win the job at a camp but you know he he bided his time. He's bided his time for a long time here. Um, and, you know, and he's made it happen. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why Utah has been this good um, and a lot of reasons why Utah is in this position. But rising is at the very top of the list as to why Utah is here now um, in contention. And and you would expect, you know, any head coach, I would say, to to kind of it's not a done deal to, to side with the, the veteran quarterback, you know, the guy who's played the snaps, who, who has all of that experience under his belt. But um, it's, it's kind of an interesting parallel. I don't want to say they're the exact same situations, but since we talk about it now, you know, with, with Anthony Brown coming in, he, he saw some time last year, but a lot of people were buzzing about Ty Thompson, you know, highest right. rated quarterback to ever sign with the ducks. But yeah. in the end, Crystal ball and the staff went with the experience in Brown and um, <clears throat> excuse me. And that's, you know, got helped get them to where they are now. You know, maybe I think Thompson could have had some some flashy plays. You know, if mm-hmm. if he were given the ball this year, but but ultimately, I think one of the biggest pieces of of putting together a run like the Ducks have is that experience at the quarterback spot. So it's really cool to to watch Rising. You know, kind of turn things around, especially after coming off of a major injury like that. For him to be having the season that he's having is crazy. It's, you know, long journey to get there, like you mentioned, Josh, mm-hmm. coming over from Texas. Right. After being a pretty highly touted recruit out of yep. uh, Southern California, and Mario Cristobal was talking about him earlier this this week, saying, "You know, he was a talented guy. You know, we he was someone that we recruited, so we know him well." And I think that's something that's cool about the Pac-12 is that we see a lot of these matchups with, you know, overlap, right? You know, guys that that uh, the opposing schools were were recruiting and everything. Oh yeah. And uh, it's it's a cool dynamic that that uh, I think you know you probably get it in a lot of other conferences, but it makes the Pac-12 unique and. Um, just since we're talking about the offense, there were some other guys that I wanted to talk about before we got to to the defensive side of the ball. Yep. Um, you, you mentioned just the efficiency that that this Utah offense is operating at is something that we really haven't seen in in, in a while. I feel like, or it's it's certainly not the norm in Salt Lake. I think when I think of Kyle Whittingham teams, Utah teams, it's always that defense, that defensive line. Um, but they have some really really good running backs. I was just checking that uh. Utah Stanford game I think when I was driving to Seattle for the Oregon Washington game and they like it just every time I checked it it was someone ripping off a huge run oh yeah just running it up on Stanford but 
these aren't your typical Utah running backs. Now you got TJ Pledger, um, you know, transfer running back that comes in. And these are some guys that are, you know, 5'11", 6 foot, north of 200 pounds, you know, in that 215, 220 pound range. Just tell me a little bit about how that's changed the dynamic of this offense and, you know, what they bring to the table. Yeah, you know, Utah is never short on um, on quality running backs. That's just something that they have, you know, year after year, right? We all remember Zach Moss and the things that he did while he was at Utah. And there's been, you know, just from last year to this year, there's been a lot of change. You know, last year it was, you know, the late Ty Jordan kind of taking over the room, you know, during that COVID season. Uh, and Jordan Wilmore and Devin Brumfield getting their shots. Um and Makai Bernard was a, you know, was a second year freshman last year, you know, played sparingly. And then you go from that whole thing, um, you know, Ty Jordan, unfortunately, is no longer with us. Uh, um, Jordan Wilmore transfers, Devin Brumfield transfers. And then, you know, Kyle Whittingham, to his credit, he has really um, embraced the transfer portal. You know, so you go to the transfer portal, you go get TJ Pledger from Oklahoma, you get Chris Curry from LSU. He, he was on that vaunted 2019 title team with Joe Burrow at quarterback. Um, and just just those guys, Pledger, Curry, um, and Makai Bernard, who, who was returning, you already look pretty stout at the position. Um, you go through spring practice, and then you, you, know, you have a guy like Tavion Thomas, who started his career at Cincinnati, went the Juco route. They get him, I think it was, it was late. It was like mid or late May when they got Tavion Thomas. And you just start looking at Thomas on paper, and it's like, you know, he had a pretty productive time at Cincinnati, had a good COVID season uh, um, at Independence Community College in Kansas. And the kid's big. He's like 6'2". I think he came in here at like 230 or 232 pounds. He was actually a little overweight, a little out of shape when camp started. But, you know, he, he got that together. And it was pretty clear early in camp that Kyle really liked Tavion Thomas, again, big kind of, you know, bruising downhill guy, more size, more, you know, more ceiling, I, I think, than Pledger or Bernard. And, you know, Tavion Thomas had a nice start to the season in the opener against Weber State, but he couldn't hold on to the ball. All right. The room collectively had a real fumbling problem, you know, fumbled once against Weber State, fumbled again the next week against BYU. I think he had another fumble against BYU, but that was waved off, you know, because of a penalty. And there was a there there was a stretch of two or three weeks where where Tavion Thomas was you know he was in the doghouse. If you can't hold on to the ball, you're not going to play for Kyle Whittingham. But in that time, nobody else could hold on to the ball either. They had this chronic you know ball security problem. So you know it comes back around to Tavion Thomas. And this whole time, Kyle is like indicating that I like this kid. I want to I want to give him the ball. He just has to hold on to it. So he figured out the conditioning. He figured out the ball security, and he's been great ever since. You know, he he's run wild on a few teams. Um, you know, he had uh, he had 14 rushing touchdowns through the first nine games of the season, one shy of the program record for most rushing touchdowns in a single season. Um, and he's been great. He's been you know again, Utah's never short on running backs, and they've got three quality guys now led by Thomas. And look, Pledger had a big game against Arizona. Um, when Tavion Thomas was out and Makai Bernard has, you know, has really had his moments. Makai Bernard is um, of the three guys. Makai Bernard is very clearly the best in terms of catching the ball out of the backfield. He's got great hands, doesn't drop it. He's pretty good in pass pro. So 
uh, you know, the running back situation, it was a bit of a concern early this season, but it, it's really turned into a huge positive. 214.5 yards per game on the ground is, is what we're looking at with this Utah offense, which is going to make this matchup even more interesting, Josh, because they're, they're proving, they've proven that they can really move the ball on the ground, but uh, for Oregon, they've been uh, making some really big strides in, in the trenches on defense. Um, you look at obviously Kayvon Thibodeau is the biggest name on that defensive line, yep. the front seven group, but he's showing that he can defend against the run really effectively too, which I think has been um, something fun to watch just in his, his maturation and his development. Cause that's a question that comes up a lot. And these pressers I go to with him is, you know, what, where do you think you can improve or the coaches get asked that question too. But um, with how the defensive line for the ducks was last year, they were getting gashed all the time. So I think that was a little bit of a question mark for this team and, and it's really coming together. You know, that's what Tim Deruder saying is, you know, he's saying we can, we're seeing really how this defense is coming together, but with Utah, they can really sling it with rising. You talk about Brayton Covey. I know they have a, a bunch of, you know, big options there, but Oregon, I feel like the secondary hasn't been poor per se, but they do give up a lot of yards. And um, yeah. I think that it's going to be really important for this pass rush to show up for Kayvon Thibodeau to show up like he does you know, it seems like every week for um for them to really try to neutralize this Utah offense, which is red hot. But we've talked a lot about offense here, Josh, and we, we got to look a little bit on the defensive side of the ball as well here uh, on this preview pod. If, uh, if you're new here, we're talking with Josh Newman. He's a Utah Utes beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Um, and Josh, so kind of, I feel like a cool place to start here. You know, there's a couple names Devin Lloyd is, you know, the the heart and soul of that defense. I, I hear about him every time I'm looking into the Utes. Um, so maybe he's a good place to start just when we're looking at kind of uh, what the Utes bring to the table on defense. Yeah, um, you know, Devin Lloyd's a great story. You know, he didn't have a ton of recruiting interest coming out of um, coming out of high school near San Diego. I think he wound up as a three star. I think he was a safety coming out of high school. He originally committed to UNLV. Um, his only Power Five offer was Utah. And he wound up at Utah. Um, they saw him immediately. They flipped him some, from safety to linebacker. And the linebacker room when he first got there was, you know, was loaded with future NFL guys. Um, and he waited a little bit. And he and he was ready when his number was called. Um, he had a great season last year. Um, I think there's a real chance that if he had gotten a full 12 games last year instead of just five, he probably he probably leaves for the NFL because he was getting second round grades, third round grades. Um, you know, he decided to come back for one more year and he's been great. He, you know, he, that kid is everywhere. He is, you know, sideline to sideline, ferocious. He's come off the edge in a few packages. So, you know, Lloyd is, as you said, Lloyd is the heart and soul of that defense. He does, you know, seemingly everything for that defense. Um, it begins and it ends with him. Um, and linebacker is, a, is another position where Utah is never short on guys. Um, it's Devin Lloyd and it's Nephi Sewell, who is Noah Sewell's brother, of course. Um, they've got some young guys coming up. They've, you know, they've gotten some, you know, some, some high three-star, four-star type of guys at linebacker in the last recruiting class. But yeah, you know, Devin Lloyd, you know, Devin Lloyd during, uh, spring ball was not shy about why he came back for another year. And look, yes, part of it was, you know, third round grade is X amount of money versus maybe a first round grade, more money. That's part of it. Yes. Sure. But he was very clear that he went to the Pac-12 title game in 2018. 
went back in 2019, couldn't get over the hump. He wants to win something. And I think, I, I, I think there's a couple, a few guys on this Utah team that could have gone to the NFL and could have been drafted, but you know, they, they tasted disappointment and they, you know, they want to win something. And this is why they came back for, you know, for high leverage, high stakes, you know, late November, big time games like this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. A lot is on the line for, for both teams here, like we've said throughout the, the podcast, and, and Lloyd's going to be leading that, that Utes defense. One other guy that I, I feel like uh, I want to talk about that I think uh, Oregon fans might uh, you know be familiar with if you if you follow the recruiting uh, the recruiting game cornerback Clark Phillips I mean yep. he he's a guy that um, you know younger guy that um, I feel like maybe doesn't get um, I don't want to say doesn't get enough praise because I'll be honest I don't follow Utah as closely as I'd like to but the thing that's interesting with him Josh is his journey Oregon was right there in it for his recruitment ends up committing to Ohio State and then opens things back up, you know, doesn't end up at Ohio State. And then I saw Utah, and I just kind of scratched my head for a second because that was a really, really highly touted guy, All-American, yep. you know, whatever accolade you want to throw out there, all kinds of records at La Habra. Um, and I just – I feel like even though Utah develops a lot of guys on defense, you know, they've, they've had some defensive backs go to the league, this recruit in particular is, is the kind of guy that I feel like Kyle Whittingham doesn't usually get. So can we just talk a little bit about him and, and kind of what you've seen from him this season? Yeah. Um, just to add on to what you said, I mean, no, there was a time where, and we're probably still in that time. I mean, look, Utah does not get a ton of, of blue chip guys, right? They're not getting five-star guys. They're, you know, they're not even getting a lot of four-star guys, but they're starting to get some more four-star guys. And, and Clark Phillips was, you know, as you said, committed to Ohio state. Um, you know, Jeff Halfley leaves Ohio state, takes the Boston college job. And Utah hopped right on that. They got, you know, Clark Phillips on the phone. They got his dad on the phone. Like, Hey, come visit us. You know, that recruitment had gone on for a while. Utah was in there for a long time and they pounced and they sold it. And, you know, Clark Phillips is the highest rated recruit in the history of this program. Um, To, you know, to your question, you know, he started five games last year during COVID. Uh, He has started all, what are we all, all, 10 games now in 2021. And, you know, he, it's been, uh, it's been a bit of a mixed bag. You know, he's been good. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say he's been, you know, great. He's been very good. Um, you know, he got eaten up 
a little bit uh, by Drake Jackson, but you know who 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 didn't Drake Jackson beat up? You know before he got Drake, hurt? Drake London. Excuse me, um, apologies, Drake London. They got a lot of Drakes in. They got a lot of Drakes. Excuse me. Um, Yeah, yeah, Drake. Yeah, Drake London ate up Clark Phillips a little bit, but who didn't Drake London? You know, tear apart before he got hurt. But Clark Phillips has been very good. He's been a steadying presence in a secondary that is pretty hurt. You know, the secondary right now is pretty thin. They had some injuries early. Uh, they, you know, they appear to have another key injury now going into this game, but you know, Clark Phillips is there and he's been steady and he's been solid. Um, and again, he's been very good for this Utah defense. It's always, I love recruiting. That's, you know, how I got into this whole field and it's, you know, how, how these programs are built right in the off season, you know, when nothing's going on or on the surface, it looks like nothing's going on in those dog days of summer, you know, these staffs are working their tails off to, to bring in those next, uh, the, those next big guys to, to yep. lead the program. Um, I think a, a good transition here real quick, Josh, um, you know, I don't want to hurry along too much. I know we talked about 30 minutes. So I want to be respectful of your time, but Take you mentioned time. injuries. You mentioned injuries. Obviously that's a huge part of, you know, any matchup. Can, can you just, since you bring that up, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what we're hearing from, uh, from Utah about on the injury front this, this week? Yeah. So, you know, you, you come out of the, uh, the Arizona game and there were three, at least three key guys were hurt in that game. Uh, Fabian Marks is a second-year cornerback who has started seven games opposite Clark Phillips. He was lost early in that game. We saw him on the field later in crutches and a, and a pretty big boot on his right foot. Um, his status is up in the air. If he can't play, enter um, Zamaya Vaughn, who is another kind of second-year freshman guy, doesn't have a ton of experience. I, I think Fabian Marks has been – uh, steadily improving at at that cornerback spot. And he was only in there because a guy by the name of JT Brockton, all Pac-12 cornerback last year, he was hurt early this season. So in comes Fabian Marks. He's been pretty good. He's kind of TBD. Um, Nick Ford, who is their versatile all Pac-12 offensive lineman, uh, he's their usual center. He's been playing left guard. He appeared to pull his hamstring against Arizona. It turns out, he has a sinus infection. He's been on a lot of medicine. He was dehydrated. He cramped up. No big deal. He's ready to go. Um, Paul Male, who is, let me think. Uh, he's usually the backup center, but he's been he's been starting at center with Ford kicked outside to left guard. Male was also kind of hurt on the final drive against Arizona. We saw him with crutches. So he's another guy who's up in the air. Um, you know, the offensive line has just had so many, you know, so many things. Um, there were injuries late in camp uh, and early in the season in September. Uh, there was inexperience and, you know, the offensive line had kind of found its groove here over a two or three week stretch recently. And now you have this new thing, you know, with Paul Malley. So we don't know what the status is there. Uh, I think the fact that Ford will go, that's a huge help because if you lose Ford, that's a, that's a big problem because he's, he's very good. He's very versatile. He does a lot of things. So um Oh, and then there's, you know, then there's Tavion Thomas. Um, Tavion Thomas did not play against Arizona. We were, to, or I was told that it was um, a precautionary thing. It wasn't dire. It was precautionary. I expect him to play against Oregon, but Kyle Whittingham did go on local radio in Eugene uh, yesterday. And he kind of said in passing that he's, you know, he, he's considering Tavion Thomas questionable. Um 
you know, we know how college football coaches are. Injuries are always a state secret. Um, you know, Kyle calls Tavion Thomas questionable. We're sitting here on Thursday afternoon. I expect Tavion Thomas to go against Oregon. All right. That's a, obviously a pretty pretty big player for the Utes. So um, we'll have to keep an eye on him to see you know, if he's out there once uh, the players take the field. Um, I have one more big question I wanted to ask, but I don't want to rush off of the defense, which is what we were talking about. No, before, you're good, man. Before the injuries. Um, so maybe we stick on defense for a little bit longer here. No we problem. talked about Devin Lloyd in the linebacker room with Mephi Sewell. That'll be a cool brother matchup with him and Noah, even though they won't go head to head because they both play defense, obviously. Um, we got some big names that we came to know here in the secondary. Um, just, I guess, what else do you think we should know about this Utah defense and, and maybe talk a little bit about the trenches? Because I feel like they're really known for some defensive line talent as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Utah, um, you know, the Utah defensive line, as you said, it's, you know, no matter what the personnel or the graduation losses or, you know, any of that, despite all of that, Utah builds its defense. They are going to stop the run. That's what Utah does. Um, Utah has not, you know, if you want to go by the stats, look, Utah is third in the Pac-12 and 48th nationally in rushing defense at like one, 135 a game. Um, you know, not the, not the proto, not the prototypical type of numbers that Utah's defense generally puts up and they've had, you know, they've had some games where they were great against the run. And then there were games like early in the season against BYU, uh, BYU ran for like 215 on Utah's defense. And we were all stunned because that just doesn't happen. Um, I think Oregon state who, I don't know if they still are, but at the time of the Oregon state game on October 23rd, Utah was, uh, excuse me, Oregon state was the number one rushing offense in the PAC 12. And they ran for 260 on on Utah, which just that just doesn't happen. So, you know, I have questions as to whether or not Utah can show up. And is Utah going to stop Travis Dye? Um, are they going to stop Anthony Brown from, you know, f- from going nuts if he if he tucks it and goes? Um, help me. What's the freshman kid's name? Who's playing well? Uh, Byron, Byron Cardwell. Cardwell. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Byron Cardwell is playing you know well right now. Right eight yards a carry, et cetera. So um, I'm just, you know, I've been thinking about this all week. You know, I'm just, I'm having trouble envisioning Utah's defensive line, you know, and Utah's defense as a whole, really being able to set the edge, being able to, you know, at least contain Travis Dye and Byron Cardwell. If they can't set the edge and if they can't at least, you know, look, you're not going to stop those guys entirely, but if you can't do something to contain them, it's it's going to be a long night. You know, you look at so many of these games, Josh, I feel like with Oregon's identity and the way they've built their team, Mario Cristobal has built these teams, it's going to be one in the trenches, it sounds like. You know, with both teams liking uh, to run the ball, they both like to run the ball, especially with Oregon. Um, they like to run the ball a lot. You know, we're going to see if uh, Jackson Powers Johnson is going to get um, you know some significant time this year. He's a Utah guy, as I'm, I'm sure he's a familiar name for you yep. out there. Um, you know, Cristobal told us that he's that he was maybe able to go in and he would be able to go in an emergency situation last week. But with the way this team has been playing along the offensive line, even amidst all the shifting pieces, looks like Brian Walk's going to be out for a couple of weeks. Alex Mirabal just has that group completely gelling. That's why the Ducks have been able to run wild on opponents two straight weeks of 300 or more rushing yards. So that'll be a matchup to watch on the offense and defensive sides of the ball. And then 
can can the Ducks get pressure on on Cam Rising and, and slow down these really talented Utah running backs that that you mentioned? Um, the I wanted to circle back to the question that I kind of wanted to ask um, that is a little bit more broad, but for this, when people were looking at this game, right, you know, you look at kind of what I like to do is look through both teams' schedules, kind of see what's going on, some some important stats. You look at their schedule and you see them get in Arizona before they face Oregon. Arizona obviously has had a pretty horrendous season, but they got their first win. What was it like two years against the depleted Cal team? Yeah. yeah. But man, they, they gave Utah a run for their money. So my question for you, you know, do you think that says more about Arizona or, or Utah and kind of where, you know, how, how much concern do you think could really be drawn or what can be made of that game? I don't look, I, I think that football is, you know, no matter the level, you know, whether it be college or the NFL, I, I really feel like, Football is a sport where your fortunes can change week to week. All right. This isn't, you know, the NBA when you're playing three games in five days and you're moving, 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 you know, football, you play a game on Saturday, you do the film, you make corrections and you can be a completely different team the next week. Um, Utah beat Stanford 52 to seven, you know, then they go to Arizona. I didn't walk into Arizona thinking that Utah would, you know, would score 52 again. I thought that they would be in control. I thought the score might be lopsided. Uh, definitely didn't think we would get what we got, like a two-point game with about 10 minutes to go. Utah needs to go on a 15-play drive just to, you know, just to seal up the game. Um, you know, so what to make of that? I mean, I think Arizona, uh, I thought they were feeling good coming off the Cal win, no matter the COVID stuff that Cal was dealing with. You won a football game, um, and, that, and that gives you confidence, and you're playing well. Um, was Utah overlooking Arizona looking ahead to Oregon? I would like to think not, but these are 20, 21 year old kids who, you know, who, who, who knows what's going on in, in their head. I mean, you know, what do you take away from it? Um, you look, there's two, you know, there's two levels of thinking with Utah coming out of that game. Either you played down to your opponent, which, all right, there's plenty of evidence to, to suggest that, or, you, you know, you found some trouble and you found your way out of trouble. You know, it was a game in the fourth quarter. You had the long drive at the end, you know, capped off by a, a TJ Pledger touchdown and you got out of there with a, a nine point win on the road conference opponent, November, you know, um, Utah is, you know, probably was Arizona's Super Bowl, so to speak, given how good Utah has been. So I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's, I don't necessarily think there's correlation between you know, playing well at Stanford, playing down to Arizona, nor do I think that there should be any correlation between, you know, playing down to Arizona and then whatever happens on Saturday. I, I mean, I really think it's just a week to week sport. That's a, that's a great point. I think it, it, it definitely sheds some light on just the, maybe the chaos that we see in college football on what feels like a weekly basis. Do we get more of that in the PAC 12 than in the rest of the conference? Probably um, that was, that was a, a point that I talked about on the, the Washington state preview podcast, just the whole pack 12 after dark concept, but, right. um, kind of wanted to pick your brain there and kind of just see what, you know, what you made of it. So I appreciate the insight there. Um, I kind of wanted to put you on a spot a little bit here, Josh, I meant to say, ask to run you down through this, uh, before we hit record, but I kind of wanted to try to do something a little bit new here on the podcast and roll out maybe like a prediction. I know yeah. since I'm putting you on the spot here, you know, you, you don't have to go with a, you know, a final score if you don't want. I have one prepared because I had a story out on it on my site. 
but I kind of just wanted to throw that your way and, and see, you know, ultimately how you think this one's going to shake out when all things are said and done. Yeah. You know, I genuinely, you know, I've really gone back and forth and I've thought about it a lot and I've tried to, you know, be objective from all angles, thinking about, you know, what's at stake for Utah, thinking about what's at stake for Oregon. Utah is home where they're generally very good. Um, you know, night game, uh, the place is going to be sold out for the 69th straight time, you know, going back a decade. Um, there's a lot at stake for Oregon, as we said at the top. Oregon is in line for the college football playoff. They have to win out. Um, there are things on the line for Utah, but it's not as dire a situation as it is for Oregon. Um, as I've said, you know, Utah's secondary is thin. Um, there are questions at a couple of options offensive line spots. Um, what does Utah do about Kayvon Thibodeau? Um, I just keep coming back. I don't know. It feels, it feels like an Oregon win. Um, and I'm not going to cop out. I'll, I'll come up with a score. I, I let's go, uh, 34, 24 Oregon. Um, I think it's going to be respectable. I don't think, you know, I don't think Oregon's going to blow them out by any means, but I do think Oregon is, um, is looking a little better, lately right they had the you know they had the grind it out win in the rain at washington uh you know as you said they they dealt with a pretty hot washington state team i don't know you know it just feels like mario cristobal has them playing well has them playing at a high level and i think we're going to see that saturday night utah sounds like they're dealing with some question marks and you know a couple of different position groups josh yeah and, and i mean i i i'm trying to be objective about it as well um, I feel like when you're covering a team like Oregon, maybe some people just expect you to always pick for for the Ducks, especially with how they've been playing this year. I actually predicted that UCLA would win um, in that game, and then everyone knows, obviously, Oregon went in, went down to Pasadena and, and took care of business, won that game, even though it was right. close at the end. Um, I haven't been the best at predicting games, and I'll openly say that because I'm still working on that. But my prediction for this one, I'm going Oregon 38, Utah uh, 31. So I'm kind of in a similar vein there, Josh. I don't think this is going to be a blowout, but um, you know, there, there's definitely some reasons to be confident in both teams. Um, I think when you look at obviously the momentum for both of them, I feel like even though Oregon's pretty hot, they have had some, some close games that um, you know, maybe you'd like to see them win a little bit more. But like we've heard from the players and the coaches, you know, you never apologize for winning, right? You know, even nope. if it's you just got to take care of business. But I think when you look at the road aspect. For Oregon, you know, the, they're looking at it as a business trip. This team has been very battle-tested, and they got it early on in the year when they went down to Columbus and won a game that nobody probably gave them a shot at. And then without Justin Flo and Kayvon Thibodeau, that was just amazing. And um, I think that you look at that game, you look at some of the other games, Washington, that was a, a crazy game. I was at that one. And then also UCLA, Stanford obviously didn't end how they wanted to, but right. they're, they're battle-tested. They have momentum. I think they're really finding their stride. They're getting some guys back, even though they've been battling injuries, you know, literally the entire season. It feels like there hasn't been a whole a one week where we're like, okay, they're feeling pretty healthy. I think they're doing all right now. Um, but obviously, you know, it has some pretty significant injuries to guys like Drew Mathis, who might actually come back for the postseason. We're hearing uh, Bennett Williams, Justin Flo. So just to see, I feel like every week we're seeing this team take some steps forward on both sides of the ball and really getting close on, on zeroing in on that potential, that full potential. So I'm going to go 38-31. If uh, you're listening to this and you want to see the rest of our team's predictions, you can head on over to DucksDigest.com. Uh, Josh, before we get out of here, is, are there any other points you feel like you, 
you want to hit on or, or that we maybe didn't get to in this podcast yet? No, I think I think we covered most of it. I mean, the one thing I will say that I, I don't think we brought up was that uh, Cam Rising hasn't been sacked in five games. It's been a long time since he got sacked. I think that's I think that's a combination of the offensive line really came together, really playing well. And I think Rising is also very capable of um, of tucking the ball and going. You know, he's not afraid to, you know, get out in the open field. I think he should slide more, but that's a topic for another day. Um, you know, very smart, very savvy, very capable quarterback. Hasn't been sacked in a long time. Uh, oh, and by the way, the most ferocious edge rusher in the nation is coming to Rice Eccles on um, on Saturday. So, you know, that you know that part of it, Thibodeau against rising in the offensive line should be pretty fascinating. I appreciate you bringing that stat up. That's definitely something that I think is, is worth knowing. And this one, I was watching that the Utah-Arizona highlights, and, and he – He's not a fast guy per se, but he's got some wiggle to him. And I feel like he's, uh, you know, I think it was four rushing touchdowns on the year. So not like a, a speedster, but I kind of think of him, you know, a little bit like there's quarterbacks in the NFL that aren't dual threat, but they're mobile, right? They know how to extend plays. They know how to avoid the pressure and then when to tuck it and <clears throat> when to kind of just get out of trouble. And, and rising definitely looks like he's uh, got a good head on his shoulders in, in that regard. Well, before we head out on this last episode, or it's not last episode, last point. My gosh, my brain's mush today. Apologies, everybody. Before we head out here, Josh, where can people find more of you and your work? I know that a lot of Oregon fans are looking for Utah content, which you can find on my site, but I know you got a lot of great stuff coming out in your own right. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, my Twitter handle is Joshua underscore Newman. I link everything on there, or you can go um, you can go directly to the Salt Lake Tribune website. That's sltrib dot com slash sports we'll have it all there all right you guys know where to find josh if you want to find more of me you can follow me on twitter at that name under screen at m sports this episode of the duck's dish podcast will be on apple podcasts spotify as well as youtube so if you want to see both josh and i uh, as we break down this matchup um you know that multi-platform excellence head on over to my youtube channel oregon football max taurus ask that you take a second to subscribe it really helps me keep doing my thing but uh, that's all we have for this episode of the Duck's Dish podcast. A big thanks to Josh for coming on to preview Oregon versus Utah. We'll uh, see you guys after the game on Saturday. Should be a good one out in Salt Lake. Take care.